Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of At The Table. I'm Jackie King, and I am so excited that we are back, that we are getting to share stories of women across the SBC, and I am pretty pumped about my first guest this season. Um, I get to help introduce to you Melinda Macheco. Melinda, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where are you from? Tell us a little bit about you, the fun get-to-know-you questions. Uh, so you can tell by my uh, New York accent, <laughs> Brooklyn <laughs> accent, that I'm from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. Um, and normally when you say that, you go, woo-hoo. So I will yeah. throw that in there. Uh, I love it. So being from Brooklyn, New York, uh, been here all my life. Every time I leave New York, I think I want to be outside of New York and everywhere else is just too slow for me. Um, <laughs> we, we have been, and I say we, meaning my husband and I, uh, both of, both of us are born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh, and let's see, came from a church background from the age of five when my parents were divorced and okay. the church background was the Pentecostal long skirt wearing, really didn't have permission to do too much. Um, mm. And that was interesting, very interesting, um, yeah. and grew out of that because then I found God. And when I found God, mm. I realized that uh, there were things that were taught to me that were true, biblical truths, and there were other things that I realized that were more man-made rules um, mm. that did steer me in a different direction for a little while as a teenager. Um, I think a lot of us go through that, especially... Um, I want to say in the hood, because in New York, mm -hmm. you have, you know, the hood. I didn't really grow up in the hood, but I was close enough to the hood. And as a teenager, you kind of do your own thing. Met my husband. Uh, both of us coming from church background got together. And then we found that's where we found God together. Uh, we have cool. been doing that for quite some time. We've been together 24 years, married uh, 19 this year. Oh, congratulations. That's so cool. Okay, tell us his name. He is Edwin Pacheco Jr. Edwin. Okay, and then you have two girls, right? How old are your girls? Yes, we have Isabella that is 14, and we have Heather who is 9. Okay. All right. So that's a little bit of the get to know you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, so you are a church planter's wife. And so um, how long, or I guess, how old uh, is your church plan? And then did you always, was that always in the plan for you guys? Or how <laughs> did God really kind of bring about, I mean, you're born and raised Brooklyn. Um, and then even just kind of touching on a little bit of your faith story and faith journey. Um, so did you see yourself where you are today? And how did you get there? <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure many church planting wives picture themselves being church planting wives mm, there's a yeah. difference i learned um while my husband and i were in church and we were involved in ministry uh we i think i think we go through the whole process of like you start off with oh i'm you know i'm going to be a leader of the youth ministry and then depending on the denomination you're either the youth president 
or the youth pastor, and then it leads to young adults ministry. And it's like these little steps that go up. And there's always like this goal of, I want to, when you're in ministry like that, you're thinking to be the lead pastor would be great, but it's not church planting. And that's two totally different Mm -hmm. worlds. Um, And even with that, I didn't want to be a pastor's wife. I knew my husband had a call on his life, but I was like, that's his, that's his thing, not mine. Mm, Not understanding that we are a team. Uh, And that's, Mm. that put a little strain on our ministry, um, our marriage and ministry, because I always look like, I always felt like, well, that's his thing. I'm going to sit back, sit back and do my thing. And if, when Mm. you're a New Yorker, that's like, you do you, I do me. That's just how it is. And um, so I didn't have any intentions of being a pastor's wife. I didn't want to share my husband. I felt like that's that's my man. I didn't want to share him. Um, But as we grew in ministry and started to see what pastoring really was, what shepherding really was, we realized um, we wanted to do things a bit different than where we were and what we were doing. And when my husband brought up church planting, um, our youngest is nine. This happened a little before, I think I was pregnant with her. So about nine, nine years, he started talking about it. I thought he was crazy. I didn't know what church planting was. (laughs) Planting, coming from New York, planting means you have a garden and Mm. you're having your hands in the dirt. And um, that wasn't my thing. Like what's planting? And so as we learned, we had no idea of, of church planting context. It's not it's not what's the norm here in New York. Um, and my husband connected, did his research, and still I had that mindset, dude, you do you. You do you. When you figure yeah. it out, I'll jump on. Um, yeah. And we learned. We learned what church planting was. And it's been nine years of this process. And we've done our mistakes. And we've started a few things here and there. And we literally started called the house church because it was in my living room. And uh, every Sunday, I would be screaming at my kids, come on, we got to clean up. People are coming over and going crazy. And my bedroom ended up being the dumping station. Uh. And we did that. We did that for a while. And that, that really drained us and stripped us of the joy of ministry. Mm. We connected. And, and this is where we then start looking at SBC and SBC Mm -hmm. wasn't something that we were familiar with. Okay. Um, We connected with them. Uh, My husband connected with, I believe it was Steve Cantor from NAM Mm -hmm. Um, and making the story shorter. They connected, the resources came in there and that's when we started to learn what church planting really was and having a support system. Yeah. Um, We started a church plant in one neighborhood in Brooklyn and then the Lord led us to where we are now. Officially, we are two years officially open as Redemption Church in Red Hook. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love even just, and I really appreciate your candidness. Um, <laughs> I am not a planter's wife. We are established church, um, and my husband's a pastor. But I think even just your like bluntness and kind of saying, like, I didn't want to share my husband, and I didn't want to be a pastor's wife. I mean, I can resonate with so much. And so let's kind of go there first, and then I definitely want to talk about all the things that God is doing in mm-hmm. Redemption Church, and um, because He's done a lot, especially in this COVID season. But as you kind of look back, and even maybe if you kind of keep in mind some of those church planters wives that are listening that are maybe just starting out or they're kind of in that you do you I'll do me um what were some of the things that God used to really kind of transition your heart and maybe even soften um 
maybe was it like kind of some false ideologies of what you thought a church planter's wife was supposed to be, you know, like <laughs> maybe kind of unpack some of that a little bit, because I think um, even just in listening to you, I think a lot of us have that. And it kind of even holds us back from God using us not only alongside our husbands, but in our own gifting. So can you share a little bit about that? Yes. So I'm very blunt, like you said, so I always have to stop. I have to stop and, and filter the New York and remember who my audience is, right? Like, so I don't, I don't want to scare people off because, see, so luckily this is a podcast, right? Mm. And, and I know from the podcast, people will probably look me up and be like, whoa, I did not know that's what she looked like. So, and Which I, say I love that. how you look like, by the way, so, and your Brooklyn you, accent, you. so keep thank going. You. So, um, it, it was it was a bit of a challenge because once once this connection with SBC came in and um, I'm I'm rough around the edges a bit I'm not as polished and I say all this because I went through a season where I felt like it was one thing already I I didn't want to I didn't want to be a pastor's wife mm-hmm. I didn't want that responsibility I saw pastors wives have to dress a certain way and coming from a pentecostal hispanic background it was the polyester dress suits that were long pink and long skirts with the kind of like the suit jackets and we didn't wear hats but you know like you did have those big farrah fawcett hairstyles and and you had the tambourine on the side and no and not knocking the tambourine players because you know i have (laughs) i have some skills i don't use them anymore but that that was like and 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 these i'm going to use a brooklyn word mm-hmm. is big dookie bible and dookie meaning like it was really big like okay. it was huge okay and they held it on their arm and it was like they walked with this presence of almost like royalty and i i felt like that was not me mm-hmm. and as i grew up and learned i saw a lot and got burnt a lot and i saw how that was a lot of exterior but a lot of the interior of pastors wives just rubbed me the wrong way so that's why I was always afraid. I didn't want to do that. I saw, I saw a lot of fakeness. I saw over-spirituality. So I wanted to kind of back, back up from that a bit. But when we joined with SBC, I then felt like I didn't fit in. Because now at this point when we joined SBC, I am now I went from long, curly, black hair to I'm going to do this radical thing. And I cut my hair down. And when I cut my hair down, I'm talking about we shaved it down. Mm-hmm. I have a buzz cut. Um I go to the barbershop, you know, there's no more beauty, beauty, beauty salon. It's a barbershop. Mm-hmm. And so that when I, when we did that in our first training with SBC, I, I remember feeling like, oh my God, I don't fit in because everyone had this look and the, the, I want to say as the more modern look of SBC wives was the, and, and 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 you you may know the brand. I didn't know the brand until a couple of years ago. But Lularoe, Lularoe is that the soft leggings uh-huh. with the long, uh-huh. uh, the long beautiful blouses with the long necklaces that are like chain necklaces and these cutout earrings that look like almost like leaves or like leather earrings. Uh-huh. And the most risque was like the pastor's wife would have a scripture tattoo, like, like a little script on their arm. Okay. And I thought that was pretty cool. Cause I, I, now once again, when you, when the person <laughs> looks me up, I love my tattoos. So I am a tattooed wearing short haired, um, pastor's wife. So with that, I always felt the looks I would get was like, Whoa, 
Who is she? And it wasn't, I think it was more my own insecurities mm -hmm. that made it feel like I was getting looked at. Yeah. Um, there were some wives that were a little bit hesitant to approach me. And I get that. I understand that. But as I let go of my insecurities and stepped into the role of what I understood my role as a pastor's wife was, then all of that went to the wayside. It was like, you know what? This is me. Um, I'm now at a place where people are coming to speak to me so I don't have to make an excuse for what I look like because apparently God has made a way and showed people this is this is my daughter, this is who I used, and I am pleased with her versus me trying to fit into a cookie cutter of what I thought a pastor's wife was supposed to be. Yeah. So, um, no, I do not play the organ. Uh, no, I do not do children's <laughs> ministry. Um, yes, I used to sing in the worship team years ago, back up. Um, I don't do worship anymore. Um, but yeah, I am not the cookie cutter of what you would normally see for SBC wives. Mm. And I'm actually happy with that because I think if I can somewhat break the mold that I thought SBC had, mm -hmm. not so much what they said, but what I thought and my impression of, if I can break that mold and begin a process or lead the way for other church planting wives in an urban, and this is the difference, the urban context of what we do, then I think that'll be great if I can get other church planting wives to feel comfortable to be themselves yeah. um, and not have to fit in to what they think. Yeah. is the ideal pastor's wife. Well, and I love how you said that so much of that was really rooted in your own insecurities and even just mm -hmm. the thought of what you had to become or what you had to be in order to what, for whatever reason, I don't know where we pick it up or if it's just kind of where, um, you know, our minds kind of hone in and the enemy just tends to lie and try to make us feel insecure so that we feel more like in a hole. Um, but I think all of us, no matter if you're a pastor's wife, if you're urban or, you know, like out in a rural church, I mean, we all have these kind of preconceived ideas of what we're supposed to be. And over and over and over again, I hear with women that like once we actually own the story God has given us, the gifts that God has given us, then we're able to really be able to shine and I think minister even more freely and more openly to uh, to be more confident, I guess, in our walk and in our roles and whatever God has placed in front of us. And so I just, I love your candidness. I love your willingness to be able to share just some of that journey, because I think a lot of us, no matter where we are, can definitely resonate with it. And it kind of brings up um, one of the things that you and I had discussed that you are really passionate about is just hospitality and like being able to love on people, to even get relationships with them before they're even in your church. And you, I think, have done just such a beautiful job of this at Redemption Church and just within your own life and heart. So let's talk a little bit about that. I think even hospitality and that word has some of these preconceived ideas too, that um, maybe even as pastor's wives or you know what hospitality is supposed to look like. So let's kind of unpack that. What does that look like in your life? So hospitality for me now, has been uh, to make sure everyone feels welcomed. And my thing with hospitality is I'm going to meet somebody, I'm going to greet them, um, and, and there's something I, I like to do, <clears throat> excuse me, me personally, is I'm a thinker, I'm an observer. And I will watch people, and it sounds creepy, watch people, but I will... <laughs> 
kind of and maybe and maybe that's the Brooklyn in me of like that safety, right? Like growing up and it's it's always looking at um it's always looking at the door. Where's the door? Where's where's this, where's that? If something goes down, how do I get out of here? So I I've learned to really look around my surroundings and see where I'm at. And that's also, mm-hmm. once again, it's part of my old insecurities of if I don't fit in, where's my escape? So I've always yeah. looked at people around me who it used to be who is it that I don't want to talk to because I, we're just not going to click or who is it that I'm intimidated by. And now I've turned that around and I look at it like put myself in that still in that same thought process. But I look at people and I say, OK, everyone is talking, but there goes that lady in the corner who's kind of doing that half smile, which is really the fake hello, but I'm not comfortable. And that stands yeah. out to me. And my husband has this thing that he might, he'll make fun of me and he'll say, you attract the weirdos. And I, I, I laugh and I'm like, how do I attract the weirdos? He's like, you just, you always do everywhere we go. It's always the weirdos that want to talk to you. And, and, <laughs> and you always seem to like the ones that really stand out. And I'm like, and like, what's wrong with that? And, and I say it because, so when I see that someone's by themselves, I feel in me, I need to go talk to them because no one else is noticing them and no one else seems to want to get to know them. And yes, mm. in, in urban context, in where we are, and I keep saying urban context because we are in literally in the hood of Red Hook. It is the second largest housing development, low income housing development in New York. So okay. I, I will see that person that doesn't have the clothing the, and you could see that they're poor, like literally poor, like mm-hmm. the, the, the rundown clothes. Um, in some places, it you know, it's not that they don't have good hygiene. They just don't have the finances to keep up with their hygiene. So I will talk to that person and I will engage in conversation. And th- my conversation is not going to be like, hey, Jesus loves you. Do you know that? And then, and it's It's nothing of that. It's going to be something like, hey, and I'm going to find something about them to kind of compliment them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, oh, my God, like, your eyes are so beautiful. Like, or my God, your eyebrows. And like, and now eyebrows are a big thing. You know, we had a time when growing up in the 90s, you kind of brought those eyebrows down to pencil thin. Now everybody's <laughs> learning to do their eyebrows. <laughs> so it's like, and I'll, I'll pinpoint something. And I'll start engaging in conversation and and making the person just feel comfortable and being noticed. One of the things people, women, women especially, everybody will say, I don't care if I'm noticed. Um, And if you have a tough exterior, it's like, I really don't care. This is me. Take me or leave me. And really, the truth is they've built up this wall because they've been hurt. They've been neglected. So I will take that and I'll just have a conversation. And just being genuine and being very open and blunt the way I am and very loose. And that starts the conversation rolling. And the the reason why I say it, uh, hospitality and and getting to know people before they come to church is the reality is in New York, um, you will have people that you've started a relationship with and talked with them and, and have lunch with them. And before you even get to have a, the gospel conversation, it'll sometimes be months because what happens is they have to trust you. They've heard the gospel, especially where we are in New York. They've heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. Grandma and auntie has taken them to church. They've seen church. They know about Jesus. They just don't know him in relationship. 
So I don't have to go that route with them. I just have to let them know that they are seen, they are loved, that they can have a friendship. They don't have to look like everybody else to fit in and be themselves. Mm -hmm. And once I do that, that then allows for them to all of a sudden, these conversations then start to blossom. And it's like, you know, you really are different. You know, I really didn't think you were a pastor's wife. And, you know, you really are down to earth. And those that's that's when I'm like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, and, and it may, in some cases, it'll be faster than others. But once that happens, then I realize, okay, God, take over. Step in, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, and that that allows for the platform for now the conversations go from, you know, whether it's my kids are driving me crazy and it now goes into, you know, my God, like I just need a break sometimes and I feel bad that I'm struggling with my kids. And then that's I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let's let's go have lunch. Let's sit down. Let's talk. And and then I'll share. Yeah. The, you know, my kids do the same. Mm. And they'll always the question starts coming up. Oh, my God. You know, you and your husband are so great together. And I'm like. Don't be fooled by what you see because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have our issues. I, and and the, the phrase I always use is we are just as jacked up as you are. Mm. And in in the street here, in the black culture, is they'll call me first lady. And I cringe because I grew up with that Pentecostal of La Pastora. And it's always like disrespect, like, I, like you can't reach the pastor's wife. And I always tell them, listen. I'm and, and and I go by Mel. Like I'm Mel. Just just call me Mel. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like you. Cuz once you give me that title, you're going to hold me to a standard that when I don't meet that standard, you're going to pull back and see like, "Oh, look, there goes another one that failed yeah. me." And yeah. so but if you see me as Mel and you see my flaws, you're going to say she's just like me. She understands me. Mm-hmm. So I've I'll take it at times when I, I get that they want to be respectful and they'll call me pastora or first lady, um the pastor's wife and 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 I'll, I, I get it and I understand the respect, but I always tell them I'm just now. And once I do that, that allows uh, for there to be this relationship and they open up in such a way. Um, and then I go home with a burden and then I know what to pray for. Mm-hmm. Then I know what to work on with the individual and slowly but surely they start to come and they'll come and visit in our in our neighborhood we are already known as their pastor and they have yet to step foot in our church. Oh, I love that. They have connected that way. Yeah. And of course with COVID, we, we can't step foot in the church right now. Right. But the fact is they will see us in the street. And I love the fact that it's funny. They will smoke their cigarette. And the moment they see us, they will put the cigarette, fold it into their hand, put it behind the back to greet us because they feel like out of respect, that's my pastor. I don't want them to see me smoking. And I will tell them, listen, take that last pull, finish the cigarette. We can have a conversation. I have no problem. And, and because I say that they feel more at ease and comfortable Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I have no problem. If that's, that's what you do. That's what you do. I'm not judging you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what starts the relationship. It's so good. And just so refreshing. I think, you know, like if you and I, even in chatting before this, like there's just something about coming to the table with somebody and listening and seeing them, like you're saying, and being able to share stories and commonalities. And I really think that that is exactly how God wired us. And so there is this mutual connection and coming together with one another. And just the, even in your story of how like fighting, wanting to be a pastor's wife, 
not feeling like you're in, and then even how God has transformed that into you're now able to be right across the table, um, you know, meeting different people and loving them and being right where they're at. And only you can do that. You know, like God has given you this influence and this these gospel opportunities to be able to share the love of Jesus and to share that they are seen, that they are pursued, that they are loved, and that he has so much for us. And so I just love, I love God. I love how he paints the stories and the pictures and puts people together um, and, and just your willingness to really engage, you know, and to have all those kind of preconceived notions down and just say, hey, tell me about you. Tell me about your life and and how the gospel intersects with that. So one of the big ways that I think God has really used you and your husband <sighs> and just Redemption Church in general, especially in this COVID season, because, you know, it's New York and New York was all over the news, has been all over the news the entire time COVID yes. has happened. And it just, it hit mm-hmm. you guys really hard. And so, and really even personally to your own family, correct? Like, didn't your husband get it? And so, I mean, there was, there was a lot to this season and there was a lot of beauty that came from this season. So why don't you just kind of share about the food pantry and just what God did in the midst of what seemed like everybody else was kind of locking down. And in reality, he was opening up just tons and tons of opportunities for y'all to be the gospel. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So in March, uh, let's see, everything shut down in New York, March, Friday the 13th, um, the kids had, I think that was their last day of school. And I actually was flying back home from Phoenix. I, in addition to working with my husband administratively with the church, I actually have a full-time job with an education company and I'm an executive assistant. So I was traveling, come home and schools are shut down. And within that week, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that week in March, March 16th, kids are home. About two days later, my husband gets sick with COVID. And we were joking because... He gets this chill and he's not feeling well. He's like, oh, imagine I caught the Rona. That's what we call it in New York, the Rona. Yeah. And we're laughing and we're joking. But then it gets serious because then all of a sudden I'm like, you're not looking well. And surely he has a fever. And now we go through a full week of him being, and we live in a tiny, tiny apartment in Brooklyn. Um, if I told you our rent, you would totally go nuts because I could be paying for this beautiful house in Atlanta or someplace else for what I pay for rent. We're in this tiny apartment and he's sick. And as he's sick and he's in in our bedroom, I'm sleeping on the sofa. My kids are doing remote learning or what we thought was remote learning because we're all trying to figure it out. We are getting phone calls during this time as he's sick of people asking, what is redemption going to do in the neighborhood? Because there is a shortage of food because people are losing their people are already starting to lose their jobs. Um, and we are a food desert in Red Hook. We have one large supermarket, which now just converted over to another because that one we were about to lose. And then there are small bodegas and they really don't have great quality food. And as people were reaching out, we were just like, listen, we can't do anything right now. Edwin was sick. And this is all happening while he's sick. And then as he's recovering and he's now able to have phone conversations, his breathing is better. Um, people are like, okay, so, you know, is, is redemption thinking of something? And we're just like, but we don't even know what we're going to do. We then realize we have to do something and we start looking into resources of what can we do. And we first 
decide. And after Edwin's cleared, it, this is now, we didn't start until the middle of April because of all the time it took for Edwin to recover, for all of us to get cleared, to leave the house. And the middle of April, we decided we wanted to help. There was a, a um, it's called Red Hook Art Project. And the lady's name is uh, Tiffany Davis. We call her Miss Tiffany. She was already doing, from her art project, she had to shut it down, but her location, she turned it into a pop-up for food distribution. And anybody that would donate, she would just give out. She would give out 50 meals, 100 meals, and they were cooked meals. So we decided wow. we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We don't have a location to really do things out of. Um, so we decided we were going to partner with her one Wednesday. We started off with 50 bags of groceries. We went with our funds, went to Costco and bought enough for 50 families, which was a bag of rice, some pasta, some some pasta sauce, some beans, just small little items. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that started with 50. Within three weeks, it went from 50 to 100 and about 150. Wow. Um, and that's when, and, and if you've ever seen my Facebook, I started to do asking people for funds because we are a very small church plant. So it wasn't like we had this bankroll of like, yep, we could just support the the community. We can't. Everything we have to do has to be with like, we have to ask for money. And I started doing Facebook lives and money just started coming in. And I always say with my Facebook lives, when I ask for money, my tagline is there's no funny with, with the money. And it's like, I'm going to, I'm asking for money today and tomorrow we're going food shopping. And then I'm going to do a live the day after to show you that your money just went into these groceries that went into these families' homes. So that yeah. people understand I'm not asking for money because, you know, Ed and Mel need some new sneakers or they're trying to pay a bill. No, it's like, this is going back to the community. Mm -hmm. And it grew to the point that the community in the corner that we were using the space, our community is split and we call it the hipster and the hood because there's gentrification happening in there. So uh -huh. we were on the hipster side and um, some of the neighbors were not happy with seeing people of color on that side of the neighborhood and the line was getting really long and I was approached and it turned into, can you tell these people, can you have them stand in the middle of the street, not in front of my house because COVID and this and that, and it broke us, but mm. God used that. God used that because when I, we had to put a plea out for another location, it allowed for the people from the back end of the community to actually see and expose how there really is a divide with, within the races in, yeah. the, in the community. That then turned into us getting another space and people from the hipster side that really either, either they have church background or, or have want nothing to do with church, organized religion, because it's not an issue of God. It's an organized religion thing that people have an issue with. They started to volunteer and they started to donate money. So our, that grew to now we started to do Saturdays over 250 families coming out and we were wow. giving over 30,000 pounds of food because we finally connected with City Harvest and we, we partnered with another church in Queens that saw what we were doing and they were bringing us food. So we started giving out dry goods. We started giving out frozen meals, not, not meals, but meats. Like we would get um, ham, chicken, bacon and every week would be something else 
it got to the point that we were receiving 500 gallons of milk every week to give out. And so COVID, as, as terrible as, as it has been, God has used it and has kind of like allowed our church to do something that we never thought we can do now. We always thought one day we want to be a food pantry. One day we want to have, we want to really reach the community in a way um, that's impactful, that brings people in versus our community outreach we're doing, uh, kids events, backpack drives, but we wanted something that really touched the community. And we always thought when we have the money, when we have the facility and God was like, nope, Rona's coming and Rona's <laughs> going to make a way and I'm going to show you through Rona how I'm going to work. How and amazing. in that, it's been amazing to see how God has used nothing that we have had nothing. And now I could say, um, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It, we walk through the neighborhood and people know us already as the one church that's actually doing something because they're, they're about seven or eight churches, but they are only open on Sundays. The pastors don't live in the community because the, the goal is have a church here, but don't live here. And our goal is we want to live in the hood. We're trying to yeah. move in closer, but yeah. that, that has allowed us to reach people. We are, um, we sadly no longer do Saturdays because the facilities we were using, we're not able to use it anymore. We just do Tuesdays now with city harvest. Uh, but everyone's begging like, okay, when are we getting the milk again? When? And so we're now in the works of trying to find our own location, our own home um, so that we can continue. But Rona, it's crazy, but Rona has been my homegirl because Rona, <laughs> Rona has opened the way for Redemption Church for God, for God first to shine through Redemption yeah. Church to yeah. be, so that we could be the hands and feet of God to reach the families and it has built such such beautiful relationships with the people in the community. Um, it, it, it's also exposed the hearts of some people that aren't exactly happy with what we're doing, but it's because of um, there's this ownership in the community of, unless you grew up in the neighborhood, you really aren't from the neighborhood. And I get that and it's a New York thing um, but we still want to show love, compassion, and maybe we didn't grow up in Red Hook, but Red Hook is a part of us. We are a part of Red Hook, and that is what Rona has done for us. These are the stories that need to come out, you know, especially because I think all across, I mean, really the planet, um, but for sure, just in my scope of who I've talked with, you know, there's just so much discouragement. And I think um, everything that this virus has done to like get people in and, you know, the Groundhog Day effect and just all of those things. And so to hear of how God took something that um, has really had such negative effects, but then also to see how he has used that negative effect to bring out the people and the church mm -hmm. to meet those needs is just absolutely beautiful. And so I am, I'm so thankful for y'all, y'all's obedience. I'm thankful just for your creativity. I think we're all having to do that, you know, find different ways to not be in church, but to go be the church. Exactly. And so um, I love just, I love, love, love how God works and just the encouragement and the inspiration that we're able to gain um, just from y'all's story and you following and taking steps. And even in the midst of 
the struggle in your own family, you know, and seeing it firsthand and then taking that as an opportunity to go share the love of Jesus and meet needs is just incredible. So um, we are running out of time. And so really quickly, just kind of like a couple sentences, what would be kind of your leadership nugget to give to the women that are listening today? Maybe it's a church planner's wife. Maybe it's a girl that is in um, a context that she doesn't know or doesn't think that the gospel is there. So what would kind of be your just words of wisdom to close out our episode today? Uh, I would say do ministry, do church planting, do marriage, do family the way it was intended for you by God and not keep up with the Joneses. Mm. We tend to look at everything and everyone else um, and kind of want to, I don't even know if it's compete, but we kind of want to have the success that other people have. We want to be able to, we want our ministry to flourish the way the Joneses, but not knowing the steps it took to get there and the fact that God has a different plan for each and every one of us. Yeah. So my ministry and what we, we, we in redemption, what we're doing here, I can't even say try it and do the same over there where you are because it may not be the plan God has for you. Maybe there are pieces, little pieces of what I said that you can pick up and be like, we could try this, we can try that. But at the end of the day, it's really seeking God and seeing what exactly is it that he wants for you. Whether it's you as an individual, as, as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a pastor's wife, um, or just a, 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 a regular churchgoer. Mm. It's just finding what's right for you sticking to it um and really not looking don't don't do the instagram social media look of everybody else's life yes preach just just do (laughs) what is right for you yeah yeah you know every every diet doesn't work for everyone everyone has a different body type keto works for some and for others it just doesn't and i i feel that that's the same way it is with our lives as women with our ministries we can't use the same process and we can't just look at someone else's and say that's how i want mine to look yeah so good well melinda thank you so much just for your time for you sharing your personal story and then your church plant story i mean there is just so much to be inspired and encouraged by and so ladies if you want to connect with melinda i will make sure to get her social media and ways that you can watch those facebook lives and connect with her and as always i'm so thankful that you spent some time just learning gleaning from the wisdom and the leadership of women in our tribe melinda i'm so glad you're in our tribe and i hope that you will join us next next week for another episode of At The Table. Y'all have a great week. You have been listening to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in kingdom mission. Thanks for listening.